Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. we got a fantastic program today, a little bit different. A few months back, we partnered with the union movement, Brian and Bonnie Pugh, and we joined them for their first ever union conference. And so the In Doubt Show, we got to do the In Doubt Show live in front of a live studio audience. It was such a fun night. And we hope this year when we do the conference again, you would join us there. But we're going to take you back to that moment a few months ago. We did a Q&A with some of the uh, speakers there, and it was a fantastic time. Wonderful questions on identity, sexuality. And so enjoy from that moment. We'll take you there. God bless. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the In Doubt Show. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. Yes, yes, that is what I'm talking about. Okay, so people who are in audio world right now, Spotify or Apple, wherever you're listening, you're probably thinking, wow, like that audio of the applause sounds a lot more, but like, did, did In Doubt's budget increase? Like that sounds real. Uh, no, our budget did not increase. In fact, actually, In Doubt.ca, if you want to give, go to donate. That would be very helpful. Or if you want a one-time gift, or you can be a monthly partner, become an In Doubt insider. You get exclusive content, some behind the scenes stuff, it's really awesome. But uh, that's uh, not fake applause because we are actually at Union Conference. Come on, this is amazing. It's amazing, this is, uh, you know, this is the first Union Conference. This is the first Union Conference and the first time we're doing the In Doubt Show Live. So a lot of firsts today, which is amazing. Uh, but uh, we're thankful that you're tuning in and we thank you all who are in the room that you're here with us today. Uh, this is very exciting. So for those of you who are watching on YouTube, uh, hit that notification, subscribe, do all those things. It helps us. If you're listening in audio world, again, hit the rating. We really appreciate all of your support. I just want to give, this is my first, uh, speaking of firsts, this is my first In Doubt show without Chris, my favorite Chris, uh, who is in uh, second chair, which I'm really sad about. So Chris, if you're watching, which I know you are, because you probably have to edit some audio. <laughs> We miss you, we love you, and we hope you're doing well. Uh, but we do have um, a guest with us who has been on the show a few times and has also been in third chair. Today he's going to be in second chair. Uh, he's filling in for Chris since Chris is not here with us. And so, uh, audio listeners, when you hear this music... Y'all know him, still the same Brian with the red denim. Okay, it come on. on. When he shows all people their own sin, I'll live in according to the guidance. What's yo, up? yo, 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 yo. It's good to be here. Everybody else to the Holy Spirit's inspired writing. The man, the myth, the legend. We have Brian Pugh in the house. Nah, How's it going, nah, nah, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so that's the shorter version. We actually have a longer version we didn't want to bore you with, but it also has, like, the Eminem part. Do you, do you want to do the... Uh, I don't know. I think you do a better Eminem than I do. Well, okay, so I recorded that uh, in my basement, and I had to make sure my kids were not around because I sound like a doofus trying to sing like Dr. Dre and Eminem. And it was very hard to do Eminem, but I just had to, like, plug my nose. And so, like, nowadays, everybody went a freaks, and they got something to do. But when it comes out, no truth to say, just a bunch of gibberish. Union movement's here, and you won't forget about Pew. Yeah. <laughs> he kills it, man. And uh, I was very... <laughs> I was very, I waited for the kids and my wife to not be at the house. <laughs> and I went downstairs and did that. So, so with Chris not being here, does it mean, like, I know he's your favorite Chris, but does this now mean that I'm, I'm your favorite Brian? Are there no. any Brians in the room right now? By default, right now, favorite Brian. My favorite Brian. <laughs> he's go. for sure my favorite Brian in the room, 100%. Um, and then we have a third chair guest as well. So when you hear this music...
I mean, as a homeschool kid, you would not be on the train at midnight. Let's be honest. The, the lyrics are accurate. There was no midnight train. Uh, there is also City a second bus. part of that verse about Brian, oh. but I'm not going to sing it. But married a city boy, born and raised, raised in Surrey. He's always on the midnight train because thugs go everywhere. <laughs> That's what <it> said. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, okay, so we have a couple guests with us. We're here at, at Union Conference. It's been amazing. And uh, before we dive into our guests, maybe Brian, give us, because the people who are watching on YouTube or listening in Audio World, we're not, some of them are not at conference. And so tell them a little bit about conference, about your vision for conference, and maybe even just remind us about your ministry and what your heart is. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. So the heart of the union is just really to bring a gospel-centered approach that leads to our wholeness in the areas of sexuality, identity, and relationships. Um, and so that the, the vision behind the union conference geared towards the, the kind of young adult demographic is just that same heart. We want to communicate a gospel-centered approach because there's so much, when it comes to issues of morality, there's so much political jargon or political mm -hmm. sides that are taken. And, and I just go, I think our real hope is in what the gospel has to say, uh, the authority of God's word, and really the flourishing that comes from when we live in line with that. And so we wanted just to create a space uh, for young adults just to encounter uh, the presence of God and encounter the power of his word. And so that's, uh, that's what this, this whole event's been about. Awesome, and it's been going so well, man. Praise I love God. it, man. I just, yeah. Honestly, I've just been so pumped up every single day. I should be tired, and I'm not. Yeah, so come on. Praise God for that. You'll for sure crash tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yes, my phone will be turned off yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, so those who are watching who did not come to Union Conference, firstly, shame on you. Well, well, no well, shame. Okay, okay. No shame. Because that's kind no of a, like, shame. <laughs> Look at me, Halleck. Should we redo that? No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna. No, keep we're that actually gonna do another shows. session on shame right now here. Actually, oh yeah, we're perfect. Transition. Okay. No, but that's that's one of our internal values is that we <laughs> want to like tear down shame. Absolutely. You know I mean? So Anyways. not shame on you, but come next year. But you should feel convicted and ultimately like. Yeah, just look in that camera and just tell them. Don't don't really be sorry, but just change. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm teasing. Next year we're gonna do this again next year. Absolutely, so come out, man. tell your friends. Woo! It's gonna be awesome. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, we've said this before on the Endowed Show. We love Brian and Bonnie. We love the Union Movement. We're so uh, honored to link arms and even be here today spend this weekend uh, with you guys. Uh, two guests in the house today, which I'm super pumped about. We have Jim Anderson, who's pastor, author of a book called Unmasked, Exposing the Cultural Sexual Assault, traveling speaker, mentor, an absolute legend. I've loved just being around you the last couple of days. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell us maybe a little bit about, uh, just because, again, people who are watching weren't here yesterday or today. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, your life, your ministry. Uh, boy, a little bit about my story. In a short, you want a short response from me. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like under a, an hour. It would be a miracle, you know. But uh, uh, eight kids, that's a big part of it. I think God has a sense of humor because I'm talking about, I, I, kind of in the middle we, we got involved in the sexual message because we were dealing and we were working in the pro-life arena and the Lord began to say things to me because he was, I think God said, I don't want you to take this abortion message and put it in an ideological ghetto where we solved it by starting a crisis pregnancy center and then we solved it, we did it. I, I wanna keep the doors open on the broader context. So he said stuff like this to me, he said, Abortion is the end of the conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. And I, I, I kind of started thinking about this. I thought, oh my gosh, this. And then he said this other thing, 
and I think it's because I have daughters and was starting to think about my daughters growing older as I was fighting against, you know, for life. He said, you can't talk about abortion without talking about the heart of a woman. And you can't talk about the heart of a woman without talking about the power of a father in her life. And so all these dots started connecting together. And, and it kind of meant that we didn't get to just put it into a little ghetto, start a crisis pregnancy center as important and valuable and wonderful as they are. But that's just one expression of dealing with that spirit and that God was saying, I want you to keep the doors open and deal with the sexual spirit in the culture. And having the kids I did, the girls, it kind of ruined me to anything else. I can preach about a lot of stuff, but when I think about the silence, again, the broad, you know, and the big C silence, you know, and the, the uncomfortableness the church has in dealing with this, I thought my mandate is to, um, mm -hmm. as much as I can, in a way that is not a condemnation, but an invitation to people. I mean, I think that's my biggest, if I have a fear, I, I never want to be interpreted as speaking out of condemnation, but I want it to be an invitation to everyone. Wow. and deal with this with this issue and and keep it in the air you know keep it you know i mean we're talking about sex trafficking too um i always tell i always tell people i know where sex trafficking starts and they kind of look at me like you do like if maybe we should go there and stop it then because <laughs> i know where it starts you know and i say it doesn't start in thailand where the men from western europe and america go there and have these sexual interpreters, you know, for their vacations. It doesn't start in Eastern Europe where the girls are getting trafficked to Western Europe. It doesn't start with a runaway girl from Abbotsford being pimped out at the bus station in Vancouver, but it starts just down the street at the junior high or maybe even the elementary school in sixth grade where a 10, 11, or 12-year-old girl, all she ever hears is that the most important part of who she is, is is her sexuality and her body. And it's so constant, it's so unending that she, she just has to agree with it. And I believe with all my heart that God has mandated the church to have a completely different declaration over a generation. Amen. And to yeah. say, you are, you, this is who you really are. And this is what your value really is. And to break that horrible demonic spirit. Yeah. Amen. So, so grateful just for your a little ministry. sliver of yeah. my heart. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So grateful for your ministry, ma'am. And uh, Jonathan Bryden is also with us. Uh, come on, yes. Come on. That's right. That's not a sound bite, folks. That are that's real people. Um, Jonathan Bryden, uh, remind me, production manager, production manager at Focus on the Family, and evangelist working on a new documentary. Tell us a little bit about your story and this documentary that you're working on. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. Um, yeah, I grew up in the church myself. Uh, I was born in Victoria, BC on Vancouver Island. Um, and for me, part of my journey, I, when I was quite young, I began to realize that I, I had same-sex attractions. Um, and I, I found this out when I was 11 years old. And, but at that time, I, I was like, I, but I love Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. And um, I was in the place of like, Lord, how do I, how do I do this? Like, how do I, I do want to follow you, but this reality is hitting me, and I'm, I'm not sure what direction to go. And I, 
I did reach out for help, and I, and I did get the best responses as possible, but my leaders and my parents didn't know how to lead me in this. They didn't know how to disciple me, mm-hmm. and they did their best, um, but I was left, a big portion of my discipleship was left uh, just alone, and um, I, I had to seek God for the answer, and um, he, he did, through like many trial and error, he did bring me to the place of like, okay, I need to surrender. I need to surrender my sexuality to you, Lord, and, um, and I need to follow you, Jesus, and I, I need help to know what that looks like, what that means. And so the reason why I'm doing this documentary, this documentary project, is because uh, in around 2010, 2012, I started to notice a shift in the Christian culture as the greater culture started to actually talk about same-sex attraction and the LGBT community more and more and started to really lean in an affirming direction, I saw the church beginning to go with the culture in that direction, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, it, it actually began to burden me uh, deeply not for myself, but for others in the church who are going through this too, because I knew that there were so many in the church, because I was quite quiet about this for like 15 years in the church. And, uh, and then even when I did begin to share it with others, it was like I, I would share it with one person, and I, I would never, I'd ask like, please don't talk about this. But the Lord brought me to a place where he wanted me to share it more openly for the sake of others who are going through this, especially in the context where the discipleship that I began to see happening is, oh, you can follow that desire and go to the end of the road with that and follow Jesus too. And I'm like, oh God, like if I was hearing that message when I was younger, like the world's coming at me with that message, the devil's coming at me with that message, and my own sinful heart is coming at me with that message. How can I, how can I deal with it if the church is also coming at me with that message? I need the church to come to me and not offer me an answer. I need the church to come to me and offer me themselves. And so that's what this project is all about, like bringing up all the questions. It's told from the perspective of a friend of mine, uh, Jesse, who, his family and his family, his brother came out, and they, his family was in the place of like, we only know what the Bible, that the Bible says this is sin. That's all we know. We have no idea of how to walk with them, what discipleship means, like even answering the question, how is the gospel good news for his brother? Like, how, like, mm-hmm. how is it good news? Like, mm-hmm. like Jim was mentioning earlier that like, if all we've got is a list of rules, without a revelation of the goodness of God, of the goodness of the gospel, mm. then it isn't good news. So, um, yeah, working on this project, it's a documentary series, uh, asking the question, how does the church in light of the gospel face homosexuality? Uh, and um, the first episode is complete, and we're in the process these days of raising funding to do the other seven episodes. Uh, to really explore with those who have gone on ahead, those who have been struggling with same-sex attractions but are decades down the road of following Jesus 
and to really go to them and be like, can you share with me your discipleship process? Mm. Can I ask you these personal questions? Like one of my personal questions is, as a guy who has same-sex attractions, is it possible for me to get married to a woman one day and have, have kids? I don't know, but I'm doing this project to ask this question and other questions like it, because like it's been said, we all, we're all designed for intimacy. We all need community. We, um, and if the, ch- the culture outside the church looks at us and like, oh, you guys are hateful, you're like, you've got a terrible message for the LGBT community, you're, you're saying like they either have to live alone and miserable or go to hell, like, man, we need to share good news. What's the good news yeah. for them? So that's what this project aims to do. Praise God, man. Praise God. Such a needed ministry. Yes. It truly is such a needed ministry. All of you are doing such important work, and I'm so grateful to be in your presence today. So that's an eight-episode documentary called Meek, The Church, The Bible, and The Gay Community. And uh, we'll we'll resource you uh, this episode. You can go to episode sources on indel.ca, and we'll just make sure we have links to connect with uh, both of you. Um, I really appreciate it. So we're getting lots of questions in. This is amazing. Uh, I told them, I'm like, what happens if no one writes anything? Just make up a question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh, we believed. We had faith in all of you. So uh, we'll, we'll go through some of these questions. Um, the first one here is, as a sing- this is to Jonathan. As a single person, what are your tips for building connection outside of dating? Oh, good question. Um, I think there was a, a, a point in my life where I would try to, I was like, hey Lord, what does intimacy look like as a single person in the church? And I would try to connect with people and build something and especially when I was younger, I was quite needy, I was quite emotional and I think that came off to people and I would find people wanting to push away rather than draw close. And so I felt like, man, I'm so desperate in this. I don't know how to do this well. Um, but I think the Lord brought me to the place where he, one thing, he, he said, like, don't, I want you to, in my relationship with the Lord, he's like, I want you to pursue me first, not what I can do for you first. And so from that place, when I started to seek Jesus first and prioritize my time alone with him and seeking him, uh, that's when he began to add these other things that my heart was longing for. He taught me to have relationships with other people, and he would bring them in. And then also on top of that, like, I got to a place where I was like, Lord, I need, like, quality people in my life who I can do with, life with, who love me, who actually want to invest in me, and I asked the Lord directly for it. The scripture says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, the, he- the Father of heavenly lights where there is no shifting shadow. So ask the Lord for those relationships and wait and wait to see what the Lord will do and, and look for his answer because he is able to give us um, the, that which we need. So I think those two things, seek Jesus first and ask him for those relationships and they, w- they will come. So good. Thank you, man. That's awesome. Praise God. Um, Another question here. Um, 23-year-old male, 
How do I deal with insecurity of being single and wanting to have a beautiful girlfriend and wife one day? I'll open the floor. Yeah, I think, you know, I think so much of what John, uh, Jonathan just touched on, right? Like, we're seeking first the Lord. Like, mm. in this, and I know this scripture's about money, you know what I mean? Like, you seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added to you. Um, one of the things that has been just really helpful for us is just to be, what, what is God calling? Like, I just think in my, in my singleness, I was just, a lot of the counsel I was getting and wisdom that I was getting from people who were in my life and just seeking the Lord was, to serve the Lord, be running after what he's called you to in that season. And, and just the, the counsel I was getting was that, like, God is able to bring that teammate who's doing the same thing as you are because you want to be married to a disciple. You want to be pursuing that relationship with somebody who's heading in the same direction. And that what they would say is just, like, as you keep running after the Lord, you kind of come to these points where you kind of lift your head up and look around, and you realize, oh, like, in my case, big. Bonnie's doing the same thing. Okay, let's just keep running after the Lord. You know what I mean? And then, you get, then the Lord finds a way to bring these people across yeah. these paths. And I, and I think a lot of times people make decisions out of fear. They make division, decisions out of fear of being alone and those insecurities. And those are just not great leaders. Those are not mm-hmm. great masters. Um, we just really need to submit our heart to the Lord and yeah. be in community, have a lot of great friends. And... and and who knows what comes, comes out of those, that genuine community. Because, um, again, you want to be pursuing a relationship with a, with a friend, too. So that's just my thought. What do you guys think? Let's throw it down to the other end here. What do you think, Jim? Down to the other end. Yeah. Well, I'm practical. It's kind of like, okay. I always say that the guys can be a bit in the driver's seat. And it, the scripture says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And it's, I always say to the guys, look, at, it's not criminal activity to be interested in a young woman. Did all the men hear that who are single? It's not criminal activity to be interested in a young woman. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> and I think we've had men been attacked for their aggression, for their initiative, for their risk taking. You know, we have the toxic masculinity mm-hmm. kind of thing and it's affected us. It's affected men. And I think, I think we talked about mentors. I think a very practical thing is you have a mentor and if you're noticing somebody in your fellowship, in your ministry, in your community, you start praying and you maybe talk to your mentor. It might be, you know, just to, 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 to get that on the, on, the, on the table. Some practical, it's kind of practical, like what do you think? And I've been praying about this and I'm, I'm drawn to her and I think that can be really a, a very natural, positive uh, kind of a protective in a, in a way you know it's like I kind of talk about millennial counsel and millennial counsel is I, I do this and I talk to my mentor and say I just did this what do you think it's kind of like I, I ask for their advice after I do something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I call that millennial counsel kind of like a like a joke but it's 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 kind of common yeah <laughs> and I think wouldn't you could you maybe why didn't you just maybe talk before you made that decision you know because then the, the mentor is put in the position of like, what do I do now? Now I'm the bad guy no matter what happens. And I, I think that, that's that part of that trust. But it's very, it's the biggest area in your life to trust the Lord with and other people with. And having that mentor that believes in you and will just encourage you, I think is, is a great starting point of just having that dialogue. And, and, and the mentor is not gonna say, oh, 
criminal activity. You what? You you are interested in someone? No, they're gonna they're gonna encourage that. And I think we need to see more of that happening in that's a good word in yeah. community. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. Anybody else want to say anything? We're getting like tons of questions here. This is so good, man. Um, so here's a question uh, directed at Jim. So hold the mic still. How much worse, if at all? Is the culture for youth now than when you were in your 20s? I think we see that when we're in the discipleship school, we talk about sexual stuff. You know, we don't talk about body parts. I mean, we, we get to the point where you say, we could write on the whiteboard all the sexual things that people can do with each other. We could probably do it in 20 minutes, just write exhaust, you know, everything. Because it's not about that. It's not about body parts. It's not about, it, it's, it's really about the heart. So I think the fact of sexual things that are done, it's just, if anything, it's just, it's just kind of drop back eight in age group. Like what was done in, with college freshmen, you know, or in college was, you know, 10 years later, it was starting to happen with seniors in high school. And then we had another 10 years and now it's happening with freshmen. We had another 10 years and it's happening with the junior high. And now it's happening with sixth graders, yeah. right? And we know this. It's, the enemy keeps going after the most vulnerable. Yeah. He, he, he's a predator. He, this is his thing, is the vulnerable and the innocent. And, you know, molestation, being touched in the wrong way as a little boy or girl is kind of the ultimate of, it's kind of, it just keeps pressing down as far as it can to create that kind of hurt and damage. So I think we see the same stuff. You see the same patterns. You see, yeah. there's no new thing under the sun. And we know that the, the Baal spirit that I talked about, that's, you know, years ago in the Old Testament, but the same spirit's alive today. We're, we're not dealing with anything new. Like Martha talks to Point Dexter, or Point Dexter, the man's talking to Martha. Martha, everything's, it's never been like this before. So much sexuality everywhere. What are we going to do? Martha, what are we going to do? And Martha goes, Point Dexter, it's always been like this. There's always been a false God competing with the true God. And it's a sexual spirit. And so it's, it's not, there's nothing new under the sun, but there's, and we just have to, I think to me, if anything, it, it increases the sense of urgency, appropriate urgency in the church to break the sound barrier and begin to address it. I mean, how long are we going to, when, when I began to hear little girls were getting their breasts cut off because of gender confusion, it haunted me. Mm. I, I, how much more are we going to wait to begin to talk to a generation about sexuality? What, 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 what next thing, what's really going to make us say we're doing this now? Oh, that was it for me. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I, it just haunted me. But I'm hoping that this, those kind of things are going to awaken yeah. the fathers and mothers. And I believe, I believe there's fathers and mothers. They're beginning leaders in churches. I'm praying, and we're seeing courage. We're seeing a commitment to do this. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Did you, you were going to say something about when you were in your 20s? When I was in my 20s. Well, no, but I, I just... The 20 one thing, years, Brian. 20 years. 20, 20, <laughs> 20 years ago. 18. Oh, my goodness, man. That's crazy. We just aged him, folks. Yeah, 38. Um, <laughs> no, but I think one of the things we're seeing, not to, not to go back... That, oh, man, how do I get out of this now? Um, <laughs> not to go to that context in time frame, but like I think there has been a significant shift mm -hmm. in a couple of areas um, where there's 
kind of an eroding of the hierarchy of relationships within society, like within the family, like there used to be moms and dads and they were accountable or, and they were responsible for the children and the children should be accountable to moms and dads. And that's obviously a biblical uh, design and, and, and kids should honor their mothers and fathers. But now that relationship is, is being eroded by a lot of what we're seeing in society where now it's like, let's bypass mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And because uh, um, a lot of our neo-Marxism within society that sees that relationship as oppressive and it's, it's, it's stifling the next generation, it's stifling children and who they really are. So we have Marx, Marxism saying that that hierarchy relationship and, and even the church's influence in the younger generation is actually just stifling their development. And then we mix that with Freudian thought that says the true self is connected to who they are sexually. So how do we help a young generation grow and thrive? We get rid of relationships that's meant for their flourishing, meant for their care and support, and we get rid of that relationship between moms and dads and we hypersexualize children. And I think that's where, I think if we were going to look back, that's where there's been an incredibly, just large, a very large shift. Like, it's just been really, really intense, so. I apologize for that. <clears throat> you just, you're just feeling so moved, you know I'm what I mean? I'm so moved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think somebody's, I think somebody's running to get water be awesome. as we speak. Real life, real life. Yeah. This is real life. I had a coughing uh, attack. <laughs> um, no, that's such a good word and a good, it's just, it's just so good, man. Um, okay, we'll jump to another question here. This is a good question, actually. Uh, is it okay to sleep over at your girlfriend or boyfriend's house? Here's the, biblically, sexual activity is, included, is intended for within the covenant of marriage. Not those who are, like, it's not like God's like, oh, you were, you're planning to get married? That is actually covenant of marriage. So what you didn't say, the question was not, is it okay to sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? The question was, I'm just, I'm just in the same house as them. Yeah. Um, so I think the, I remember my youth pastor saying once, we have, to, we have to not just think about right and wrong, but we have to think about wise and unwise. First Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians 7, 1. It says, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. I remember reading that as a single person and thinking, like, that's bizarre. Like, that's not, like, what, no high fives? What, no side hugs even? Like, you know, good old Christian side hug? No side hugs? But what it, what it in the original language, it means um, two things, to light a fire or to bind together. It's not good, and it, it could be both ways, obviously. It's not good for a woman to do that to a man, man to do that to a woman. That's not the context of marriage. That's saying, like, you're not in covenant, and you're doing things that are lighting fires. Um, and so I would say, reflecting back on myself, I'm like, there's no way that I could do that without feeling incredible a temptation. Mm. So <laughs> Brad's like, thanks. Um, <laughs> So if we go, it's not just about no. what is right and not just right, wrong. It's like you could make up all these things in your head, like we're going to be in different rooms or we, you know, separate sleeping bags or I don't know, you could just, we're going to go on a camp out or you could make all these extra boundaries, but it's like, are you investing in your future? Are you, um, are you stealing? Maybe you're hoping to marry one day. Are you even stealing from what is reserved for that time and saying, I'm going to take it now because I don't want to be alone, or um, 
uh, yeah. Are you, are you lighting a fire? Are you doing things that are binding yourselves? Because I think that's an area we, we sometimes think of um, uh, boundaries within relationships, dating with relationships as f- only physical, but do we need to realize like, we need, actually need emotional boundaries when you're, we're dating. Can I say that again? We need emotional boundaries when we're that's dating good. Good because word. you don't belong to each other yet. Yeah. Like when we say, has, like that day you make covenant marriage to become one flesh. And it's like when you're dating, that's, you're not, you don't belong to each other yet. You're, the purpose of dating is to discover, are we compatible? Is God merging our lives together? Are we to become one flesh? And so we need not just physical boundaries, but also emotional ones that, and so, I mean, even this might be an unpopular Thing, but we even don't let our boys do sleepovers even with their buddies because it's like it's late at night you're probably going to do things that are stupid yeah. <laughs> right so um that i would be like that would be my insight anybody i've heard of people also saying like oh you know it's really intimate to pray together what would you say on that mm. i yeah stay overnight to pray it yeah, like a sleep, it's like a sleepover, like a You're 24 hour sleepover all prayer night. prayer meeting, like, this is revival, right? You never all heard of those prayer. revival meetings? <laughs> intercession. Yeah, intercession. How about meeting at 6 a.m. <laughs> to pray together? Yeah, yeah, why does it have to be a sleepover? Yeah, it doesn't have to be a 24 hour prayer night. I personally think that praying together is a great idea. Yeah. I think that. I've just heard people say no, it. No, me too. Yeah. I would be curious what you say, actually. Is there any, would you say any reason why a couple shouldn't pray together or what would be the context? Oh, no, I mean, are you saying, oh, I thought you meant praying together because that's why you're staying overnight. Oh, oh no. no, 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 that would be oh, the you're dumbest just excuse. About that would be a lie, together. man. That would be a lie. Oh, that's... excuse me. I yeah. totally put, I put two things together that I, I guess I had. You've, you've <laughs> like, led your children through that process of courtship. Was there any advice on it, to them about like just be cautious Yeah, about... I mean, I, uh, praying on the phone would be different than, I think, I think, God is love, and there is a something happens in prayer together. I think you have to be kind of wise. I think mm. you could get really close emotionally praying together mm. and doing that often. And uh, we're, we're back to this emotional protection and this, which sounds so horrible. Like, oh, let them, let them, let's let the young people connect together. We're really committed to protection. So that no guilt, no shame, nothing can be set up to damage this beautiful thing God's creating. Mm-hmm. And I think we just have to be wise. There'll be a whole lifetime to pray together afterwards. Yeah. So I just think it's kind of wisdom. Are you praying together by yourself? If you're in a prayer meeting in the living room at the house, man, let's have a, li- we have the Anderson House of Prayer. We have a living room prayer meetings with all my kids all the time. And there are all sorts of young people in there. And yeah, just pray up a storm, man. That's where you see the heart of somebody. I mean, but just two of you together in intimate prayer? Like, just you two. You know, and... It could get I mean, a little, I, it could get a little I, dicey. I, I, think, I think you just have to... Uh, yeah. And the mentors can say, you know, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you getting, uh, like, what happens when you do that? Well, uh, the guy has trouble being honest about it. You know, whatever. It's just, like, it's just wisdom. We're back to wisdom. We're back to what's mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. It's not about what, it's like the, you know, it's like, it's like the, it's like the young high school kids say, how far can, how far can we go? How far can we go and still be Christians? 
Is that really the question we're, we're asking? I mean, is, is, you know, I think that. It's so, a good answer. So am I going to be the only one that makes a comment about laying hands suddenly and not being a good idea? I think I'd have a few red flags. Okay. <laughs> no, but I think. A little lip-to-lip th discipleship? Yeah. I'm sorry. Candle-lit discipleship? Um, no, I didn't say that. I'm Dude. so sorry. That was good. I'm sorry. I didn't think about that one. That was a good one. <laughs> um, no, but I think this is the point. It's like we want to, man, I often just, when I, when I hear some questions, and I'm not suggesting that, that this person asking this question is doing this, but like we ask questions and we kind of make up things like, well, the Bible doesn't say right. blank, yeah. or the Bible doesn't say this, so therefore God doesn't have an opinion about it. It's like, no, actually God speaks to the deeper issue. It's like, choose wisdom. Don't let yourself be led into a, to a foolish place. Like use, use the, the knowledge and the understanding that God reveals as wisdom within his word to be like, you know what? Like, yeah, I could do that. Like, yeah, sure, all things are permissible for me, but this, is, this would not be beneficial. This would not be, mm -hmm. this would be putting myself into yeah. a place where I'd have to fight temptation when the scripture's saying flee temptation. Like, don't willfully put yourself into right, a place that's, a good word. that's gonna be yeah. um, where you're gonna have to operate in a way that God's not called you to in a, in a yeah. way of righteousness, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good word. Um, okay, so here's a good question. What's one thing your parents could have done differently that would have helped you in your sexual identity journey? It's a really good question. So while you guys, you guys are thinking, I think something that comes to mind for me is just, like we've been talking about through this conference, the whole goal has just been to kind of break the sound barrier. And, and I know just generationally speaking, like my parents, um, we didn't talk about a whole lot uh, that was really like really meaningful or really kind of speaking to the deeper issues, a lot of surface level conversation, not even dealing really with conflict. You know, I think so like I would, um, something I wish was different is just not just aiming to have like quote unquote the talk. I didn't wish my parents just had the talk, yeah. but that we'd have a lot of conversation yeah. on, on the topic because I feel like, um, as I heard somebody say once, like one conversation would be good if you dealt with questions around sexuality like one time. Then one conversation would suffice. Right. But as we've been you know, discovering within this event, um, it's a daily thing. It's an yeah. hourly thing. It, just, it depends how often you go on your socials. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're confronted with sexuality. And so yeah. I think um, I, I wish that avenue of consistent conversation on the topic would have, um, would have been there. Yeah. I think one thing that is helpful, um, and I think it's really powerful coming from a parent or a grandparent, um, and, and Jim, you did a little bit already, is sharing their stories of sexual brokenness in the past or areas where they failed um, and then the grace they experienced from God in that failure like to those who are quite young uh, one of the things that we're facing in our culture right now is uh, children way too young for this conversation being forced into the conversation yeah. by the culture and so I think a lot of like within the Christian community, uh, parents and grandparents and, and those in the church will be like, oh, we can't expose the kids to these conversations because they're too young, they're not able to handle it. Unfortunately, we're at the place right now where like that's too late. Like the kids, they're getting pushed into it by even their friends and even like the conversations from their teachers. 
and what they're watching on TikTok. Like, it's, it's all happening. And so if at the forefront, like, you're, like, even from a young age, uh, like, and this much discernment and wisdom is required in this, but to share stories of, like, from, from their life of, like, man, this is, the, this is the brokenness that I went through, and to share that with the kids so that by the time that they're in the middle of high school, like, they've heard all the stories about, uh, about the parents and the grandparents that they went through, and they've gotten to hear about the grace of God in the grandparents' life and how they got there. So when they're confronted with these things, it's not like, whoa, I have no narrative that speaks into this story. So I have to adopt the story that the, the culture is giving, uh, and that's going to be my story because I have no other story. We need to know our history, and the kids need to know the history of where do we come from, and like how did we as a family get to where we are today? And like even with Bonnie sharing about her kids, and and like the moments of like oh when I was a little girl, I I I felt like like what you shared that's that's so powerful to hear and to like to have like oh like so when it happens in the hearts of the kids, they're like oh like. My, that reminds me of my story of my aunt. She went through that. Or that reminds me of the story of my grandparent. They went through that. Maybe I should talk to them. Like, totally, yeah. yeah. I think that, so, oh, that, that is the power of, I would say, church community, is that even if, you know, as a, as a parent, you're like, I haven't, you know, experienced all those things or all those temptations or all those struggles, struggles, but the power of community is that if we have an atmosphere or like a, a space for testimony, uh, it, they hear the story of what God can do in a wide variety of circumstances. I know there's been times even within like our local church where our sons, maybe it's like a baptism service or you know the, the preacher alludes to their past and then our guys, the, our sons will say to us like, I had no idea. And you're like, yeah, because God washes all that stuff off of us, you know? And so it, I think that the, I love that, the, the power of testimony. And I know my that's something I would say I'm grateful that my dad did, like even as even though he would fumble over his words, you know, but he knew that he wanted to protect us from following that path that he mm. had taken. And, uh, and I think it was, so yeah, don't let the shame of what you've done silence you when you're a mother and a father. Yeah. The enemy, that's one of the biggest things about shame. He's, he's robbed a, a generation of their testimony. He's, he's disqualified us because we are still dealing with the shame. And then we get into what we call, we might have an X-rated testimony. And this is the age appropriate for, for kids, but just in general, we've lost our testimony because if we've had an, an X-rated life, we're, we're still ashamed of that. And so we're, we try to sanitize it. We spend a lot of spiritual energy sanitizing, kind of remaking our past so it's kind of acceptable, appropriate within our church community rather than having a, a, a transparency and a grace-filled environment where we don't flaunt our past, but we, we redeem our past. We redeem our past because God intends that, that even the things we hate most about ourselves becomes part of our testimony. And then that can be used to unlock the prison doors of people who are trapped. They're waiting. There, there's a, there are people waiting who are living an X-rated life, who have no clue. They think every person in church is just these, these wonderful people. They don't really understand. And when we get our testimony redeemed, we can kind of step on the edge of our generation and raise our hand and say, I know the way out of hell. Can I tell you 
about how I lived, not the details, the sexual detail, but can I tell you how it felt? My, my lostness, my darkness in this area. And then we get to punctuate it with, can I tell you about the God of restoration? That's the really powerful part because we get to enter the conversation and part of it, our quest even in conference like this is to re redeem our testimonies and understand them. He never wants us to have a certain part of our life that goes in the closet that we never talk about. We, we really paint over it, kind of sheetrock over it. It's this closet without even a door on it. We, it's just our secret, secret spot. He, wants, he doesn't want any part of our life to be like that, where he redeems every part of our life. There's not one part of our life he hasn't redeemed, even our sin yeah. that becomes part of our story. Yeah. That's amazing. That we never have to have anything we spend energy trying to hide. That's the Lord. I mean, that's amazing. Praise God. Praise God. So good. This question is um, for Jonathan. How can we reach out to the LGBT community who feel abandoned and unheard by God? Oh, man. That's, yeah, that's a, really, that's a really good question. Uh, and I, to be honest, like, it's a question I wrestle with, too. Um, though I um, am technically a part of that community, I don't. Like, the thing that's coming to mind is, like, we, so much of what we see online and in the public discourse is even Christians who have the best intentions, uh, they go out to give answers, uh, answers to things. Of like, this is what the Bible says, this is the theological position, like, this is the reality, this, this. But I really believe that uh, a lot of the people in the LGBT community actually have a, a history in the church. Like they have a past with, um, with the people of God. And they're in a place where they don't need answers as much as they need, they need someone to give themselves to them. They need, they need the, to experience the love of Christ. And sometimes uh, the way that God chooses to show his love to somebody isn't directly through the Holy Spirit, though that definitely happens. But sometimes the way that God chooses to show the love of Christ to somebody is through another person. And this isn't, this isn't easy. Like this has to be spirit-led of like, okay, hey, Lord, there is somebody, maybe even as you're sitting there, there's someone in your life who you're thinking about who is outside of the church, who is, um, they are a part of the LGBT community, they feel ostracized from God, and they're on your mind right now, their face is in your mind, and to like ask a Holy Spirit, like how can I give, like Christ dwells within me, so how can I give me to them? Like Jesus, they need Jesus, Jesus is in you, so the best way to give Jesus to them is to give you to them. Now, like, there's not a specific answer that I can give you for that, but the Holy Spirit can give you that specific answer. Ideas will come as you ask the Lord for this, and very similar to Jim's experience, like, oh, there's these kids, like, smoking pot, and they're my neighbors, and I have no idea of how to connect with them, and the Holy Spirit brings to the mind an experience he had when he was younger with cookies. And so it's like, okay, there's a line there. There's a, there's a bridge there. There's a, 
a connection point. Like, ask the Lord for that connection point. Not so you can get there and, and then tell them the gospel and then get out. It's so you can get there, give them yourself, and, like, do life with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, I'm not saying this because I've perfected this. I'm saying this because I, I am learning this. I'm, I'm so far from, like, figuring this out. Because it's so easy. It's very similar. Like when you meet somebody who's homeless on the street, isn't it easier to give them a few dollars and go away? That's, that is our tendency. That's like, I will give you something and then I'm going to go back to my safe place. It, it is, this is a journey. And like, there is grace in this as well. Like, because it isn't easy. And as you know, there are many homeless people where it's like, hey, this isn't safe to give myself to you. And so I, it's not like I'm saying go out there, throw all barriers away and just like give yourself out. But like by the Holy Spirit, prayerfully cons- ask like, God, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. How can I give myself to this other person and see what happens? So good. I think too, like one of the things I've just been thinking about is we, and just one of the things I've been observing is we start to make like a list and a category and rate sin or certain sinful practices on a scale. And when it comes to like people who would identify in the LGBTQ plus um, realm, we, we want to take their sin that they're struggling with and create a certain category that scripture doesn't, doesn't really create. Like heterosexual sin and adultery and fornication is lumped together with, with same sex attraction or same sex behavior if I could use that, that word. And so I, what I think is sometimes not helpful in that, like how do I reach these people, is that we think that they're dealing with something that, that other, like they have needs that other people just don't have. Mm-hmm. And I go like, so like if they, maybe they didn't have this, this, this one dynamic of their existence, this wasn't part of who they are in some ways, like they're just their journey in life, would they still need friendship? Like, wouldn't they still need friendship and care and loving relationships and a healthy place? Like, I go, those are all things that I need. And I go, like, where the, where the scriptures are so clear is all of humanity is made in God's image. Mm. So there's unique inherent value upon everybody. And I think it's just not helpful as much as I know there's are, like, there's different consequences to different sins within scripture. And I know that sexual sin, you sin against your own body, that's different than like if I go and rob a convenience store. Like I'm gonna, the consequences of that is different. But, um, but I still, the point I'm getting at is like we all have a lot of the same needs. And, and we need community. We need people to love us and to care for us. And like Jonathan's saying, like, um, I think we should stand for truth. I think we should make a big deal of the gospel and we want people to encounter Christ because ultimately that's what they eternally need. But there's needs in this world that I think we can really easily meet to let those walls come down for Jesus to walk across that bridge that you've built in relationship. Yeah, one of my a favorite quote I have, if you've heard me talk much, you'll probably hear me quote this guy. But a Roman historian was speaking about the early church and during the Roman empire, there was um, just like this exaltation of the sexual, sexual experience, and it was like, um, even at, like during wedding vows, like the wife would have to say, like, I'll be faithful to you, and then the man would say, like, thanks for being faithful to me. I, I will be able to have 
like have sex with any man, woman, or child that I want. Like that's my part of the bargain. So like that was like the culture that, that the that the early church was planted into, where there's you know temple prostitution and goddess worship and. Um, Anyway, so this Roman historian looks at what's happening in the empire and sees how the church is starting to shift the climate, like shift the atmosphere. And he said this, they share their beds with no one and their tables with everyone. And I just, I think we've Mm. forgotten the power of hospitality. We forget Mm. the power of the table, right? Where it's like, I will hold to, yeah, like I'll hold to who I am and I will welcome you into my home, you know, and, and we will connect on all, like there's so many other things to connect on. We're not gonna reduce people to what they identify as. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Brian, what you're saying about image of God. Like we, you have worth, and yeah. you have worth of my home and I'll cook you a meal and I'll ask you how your day was. And I'll, you know, we'll find a way. We've lost hospitality. Yeah. yeah, wow. Which how interesting, it's the same root word as the word hospital, mm. right? So, like, the place of healing, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's a good word. That is a good word. Um, how are we doing for time? Because I feel like there's, like, a million more questions. Maybe one more question? Oh, that's so hard. Oh, boy. Okay. Maybe the other <clears throat> questions we they're can... All, they're all really good. Maybe the other questions you can let give them to us, and we can start answering on yeah, our thinking, social media we, feed or something. If we do that, and then yeah, have like a resource where each even other. people can from India can come and see the answers from you guys, that'd be actually really awesome. I'd love that. Cool. Okay, now I don't feel as uh, stressed. So if I didn't say your question, I'm so sorry, but we will get answers because these are all really, really good questions. Um, okay, so I like this question. I'm struggling with porn. Should I even be dating someone? <laughs> uh, it, it might dating is for the purpose of marriage it isn't just for entertainment so if you have that kind of encumbrance in your thinking in your appetite you know this is it's a serious thing maybe it would be wise to uh, again it's not criminal activity to be interested in someone but if you're in that place it's kind of like saying, should I run the 100-yard dash when I just sprained my ankle yesterday? Well, you could, but you'd probably lose. You know, I mean, so I think it's, it's, it's wouldn't you want to have a, a proper revelation of a daughter's heart? Would, would you want to have an understanding of your own appetite and God's work of self-control? I'll tell you one thing. I mean, I think that the answer has been, porn is kind of our answer for sexual problems. And I tell young men, they come to me and say, well, Pastor Jim, I'm really hanging, I'm just gonna hang in there, like I'm fighting the fight, I'm fighting the fight for purity, I'm just gonna fight it out, I'm gonna hang in there until I get married, because when I get married, it's gonna be free lunch, all the sex I want whenever I want it. And I go, sorry. (laughs) You might need self-control as much or more as a married man than even before when you're a single man, because at any moment you think, I'm coming home to my wife, and like I was, you know, I've been on a trip for two weeks to, to Russia, and I'm coming home to my wife, and I'm ready for a big kiss, I'm ready for the appropriate intimacy that Lord blesses when I get back from my trip, but if my wife's mom is dying, had a stroke, and is in the hospital, guess what, I, guess what, guess what my wife's not thinking about? She's not thinking about giving me a big kiss at all. 
she's a million miles from that. And so what do I do? You know, do I run to porn, kick the cat, punch the dog, you know, hole in the sheetrock? Do I break things in the garage? I mean, the point is about self-control and, and, and coming into a place of, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I have this, this thing is not an addiction in my life. This thing I've got under control. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm growing in grace but it's not the stronghold that it is that can impair the relationship and everything else. So I would just think, again, with your mentor, let's make a decision and understand what's going on with you as well as your viewpoint of other women. She's not gonna satisfy you if you choose to continue that relationship and marry her. And if your example of marital intimacy is porn, you are setting yourself up for a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, I 100% agree. Um, and it just brought a, something to memory, actually. A friend of mine said to his fiance just before they were going to get married, um, looked at her and said, listen, you just need to know I'm not exchanging pornography for you, right? Like, pornography, in my friend's defense, it was not part of his real-time experience at the time, but just, like, when they were having discussion about, like, oh, man, like, sexuality moving forward and into their marriage and stuff like that and everything, like, he's like, listen... Sweetheart, I'm not, I'm not just some, like, crazed beast, you know what I mean, that's just completely ungoverned, mm. you know what I mean, and now we're going to have to just run into our journey of sexuality within marriage and just hit the ground running at 100 miles an hour. Like, listen, like, you are, you're more important to me, um, and I'm not, I'm not carrying this type of un, unhealthy expectation of sexuality into, into our marriage. Um, <clears throat> I would say... Um, on a kind of like a council kind of wisdom perspective, um, something that I've heard Jim say is like, victory and growth is seen in putting more distance in between your failures. Um, and so if, if this is something that's happening real time with you, right, like this is something that's actively part of your life, I would 100% say no, it's not wise for you to be in a relationship um, because you're, you are going to end eventually, if it does lead to marriage, you're going to make that exchange. You're going to, expect the same thing of your wife or your, your husband, for that matter, if this person is female, like, you're going to expect that of them, the same thing that you were expecting from pornography. Mm-hmm. And pornography can't even come through with the, the things it promises anyway, so you're going to have some really unhealthy expectations of that person. Um, but, but I say, if this is just something that, like, there is some distance, like, you, you are making ground, like, it's not something that's actively part um, that's a great thing to be talking through with somebody who's in your life that you're th- seeking out counsel. Like, would you, this is, this is just the real and the raw of kind of where I'm at and the, the track record I have. What do you, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Is, can, I, can I initiate something with this person? If we're having active conversation with it, I think is some practical things. Invite some people that you trust and who love you and really love God too to talk it through with you. It's good. I feel like a common thread has been like a mentor or someone that is ahead of you to just help you walk that narrow path. We're not meant to do this on our own. And so we need the counsel from mentors and community. Uh, That's so good. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today for this episode on the Endeavor. I know, I know, I know. Okay, what about maybe next year we could come back and do this again? Okay, 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 amazing. Uh, for all those who are watching on YouTube or listening in Audio World, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and next year, register for Union Conference. Be here. Uh, this has been an amazing weekend, and uh, we've, grow- we've all grown. Can we all say we've all grown and felt God in this weekend? Yes. Praise God.
Praise God. And I do want to say, let's give a big round of applause to Brian, Bonnie, Jim, and Jonathan. Thank you so much. Amazing. Praise the Lord. And I do want to give a special shout out to my cousin Sam for getting me Ricola when I had my cough attack. Thank you. And water. Thank you. Can we give it up for Sam? Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. But uh, thank you so much, uh, everyone who's watching online. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week on the In Doubt Show. Thank you.